What's up, everybody? You're listening to yet another edition of Cocaine Willie, and tonight we have a really tough loss on the football side to talk about at the hands of the Alabama Crimson Tide, but we will put a bow on what will ultimately go down as a great season for the K-State football team. Next, we will follow that up with a thorough discussion on the K-State men's hoops team as they come off of their big win against the number six Texas Longhorns last night in Austin, Texas, and we'll finally look forward to the gauntlet that is Big 12 Conference play with Grant Flanders, a.k.a. Flando, associate producer and basketball and football recruiting team analyst for K-State Online and the On3 Network. Fireball Matt, how were your holiday travels, my friend? Mr. Trollsby, um, holiday travels were pretty good. Um, very thankful that I was able to get out of uh, New York and back to Kansas City for, I guess, less than 12 hours. And then I flew right down to New Orleans. So I was glad to be able to make it there. And um, now I'm sitting in a hotel room outside of Philadelphia. So that is how life goes at this point, beginning of 2023. Doing the Philly shuffle out there on the East Coast as usual. Philly special, I guess. Philly, the Philly special, whatever you want to call it. Uh, what was the what was the game experience and and frankly just kind of everything, all the you know what the pomp and circumstance around the Sugar Bowl. It's the first time that K State has ever gone to that bowl game, so I'm curious from someone who loves to go to those bowl games. I would love to hear from you. How does it compare to some of the other games that, that you've been to, that we've been to? Um, and just tell us a little bit more about the experience down in New Orleans. Sure. Um, I, I would definitely say the atmosphere and, and the overall weekend was one of the top bowl games or away games that I've been to um, in my time. And um, I was fortunate enough to, to go to the Fiesta Bowl Um you know, Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl, Liberty Bowl, Cotton Bowl. Um, so this was my first bowl game since the Liberty Bowl, I'm pretty sure. So I've had a, a little bit of a gap, but I will say, I mean, the the overall atmosphere in New Orleans, especially on that weekend, is is pretty incredible. We, we brought a really good crowd. Um, you know, people have asked, what the the crowd you know versus Alabama was like, and um, you know, for where I was sitting, I, I was I was just above that lower level, and and it's a little bit hard to judge, you know, what the K State crowd was versus Alabama. But uh, we 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 brought a really a really raucous crowd to the game. Um, you know, a ton of people went to the pep rally, which I'm not necessarily a huge fan of pep rallies. It was fine. I'm sure other people would. Uh, would say a lot of better things about it, but um, you know, and, and the game was great uh, from an atmosphere perspective, you know, there was a lot of hype and, you know, especially when we went up 10, nothing, it, it was pretty fun, but then obviously we, uh, we got brought down to earth, earth pretty good, but overall, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of new Orleans, but it, it was a, it was a fun weekend and new year's Eve was, was fun as well. Well, I'm glad that you got to enjoy it. I know so many others who are down there had a great time as well. Chef and I were watching on our couches. Chef, how are you doing tonight? How was the weekend? How are the holidays? Tell us all about it, brother. Man, brother, that, I mean, that was a good weekend. I mean, 
Mind you, we had a double header with uh, what is the main sport we're talking about uh, this week and for the rest of the probably till next season, obviously, uh, with basketball being later in the evening. Um, I had to work, which I thought was going to give me good mojo because uh, I could have gladly called off that day, but I didn't. And I watched, oh, man, that game. Like like Matt said, when we were up 10 nothing, I was talking a lot of smack to just random people that weren't affiliated with Alabama at all. But uh, like we said, I got humbled really, really quickly. But it was still a fun game. Like, there, like I didn't feel any, like, desperation that we needed to win the game. So it was just kind of just – for funsies. So watching us against Alabama, that, that uniform just being out there and competing was, I mean, it was just a good experience just looking at it. It was very visually nice. Um, the game was not necessarily fun, but the weekend, Ohio State lost. That sucked. Um, and, you know, I, ever since I proclaimed that I was, Andre's locks, you know, I, I got humbled in that. It's just been a lot of humble pies for me recently. So Andre's other than locks. that, it's been, he has been a great weekend. Other than that. Andre's locks. Never forget. We'll never, we'll never, never let forget. you live. That. We'll never let you live that town. either. <laughs> if we're still doing this next year, I promise to redeem myself. Andre's locks. God bless it. Well, as we are all alluding to the cats are, coming off of a a loss to cap off the season on the football side of the aisle against the Alabama Crimson Tide. The Cats lost 45 to 20 to Alabama after, you know, getting out to a 10, nothing start Bryce Young and the Alabama offense started humming. And once it was all said and done, uh, you know, we kind of left with our, our tail tucked between our legs, unfortunately, but it was there, you know, there were some high points, there were some low points, but at the same time, you know, just looking at the game statistically, It's interesting because the Cats had 401 total yards offensively. Alabama had 496, I think. So we we got out gained there. But at the same time, those numbers look fairly, you know, there's there's more parity there than you would expect by by looking at just the score of the game. Uh, The Cats dominated time of possession with 35 minutes of time to uh, Alabama's 25. We had 18 first downs to their 17. But the difference ultimately came with two interceptions going seven for 18 on third down. And frankly, it was just losing momentum at key opportunities, I think is one of the biggest differences. Um, Alabama had more explosive plays of, of 10 or more yards throughout the game. And, and really those are where some of the biggest differences came in. Um, you know, I think I don't, I don't have a ton more to say about the game. I'll, I'll throw it around the room. And if anybody else in the live room wants to talk about the game or, or has any takes, I'll, I'll open it up to y'all too. But I think the main thing that I wanted to do was kind of grade out some of the keys to victory that we talked through last week. And, and one of the first things we did was we compared the game that Alabama had against Texas to, you know, what are some of the things that we need to do or that we need to prevent from happening in order to get a victory or, or at least make it close. And the, the, one of the main things was Alabama did a great job against Texas of limiting their ability to score touchdowns when they were on the Alabama side of the field or when they were in the red zone. And that's exactly what Alabama did to K-State. They limited our ability to score in the red zone. Um, and we were forced to, to punt in a lot of situations. We had the turnover on downs 
on fourth down and goal, that was a huge momentum swing as well. Um, some of the other keys to victory that we have were stepping up in third and fourth down scenarios, both offensively and defensively. You know, seven for 18 isn't terrible. It's like 38%, I want to say. And compared to our season average, I want to say our season average was about 40, 41%. That's, that's not terrible in comparison. It's obviously worse, but it's not terrible. It's better than, you know, five for 20 or, or 0 for 18, whatever it might be. And then we were two for three on fourth down. And that, again, leads us back to that one fourth down that wasn't converted. That was a huge momentum swing back in Alabama's direction where the Cats weren't able to capitalize. Um, the percentages aren't bad relative to the season average, but I, I would frankly rate this a D because of that one fourth down uh, that wasn't capitalized on. And, and I do think it was the right move. I'm not judging the move at all. I think it was the right decision to make in that situation. We could talk about some of the other situations where maybe there weren't the right decisions made by the coaching staff, but the other three keys to victory that I had graded out were running Deuce and DJ. You know, I, I would give that a B. I Deuce had, I think, 160 yards rushing or, or at least um, had it, had that 88-yard run, really didn't look bad. DJ had a great game, I thought, especially when we started playing more of him in the fourth quarter and he really started to run the ball. I think he had a touchdown as well, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have the stats up in front of me because, frankly, I don't care for this one. Um, and then the last two I had were getting takeaways and capitalizing on them. You know, we lost the turnover margin. That was going to be a huge key coming into the game. And then finally, so I'd give that an F. And then uh, finally, the red zone efficiency, like we alluded to, I'd, I'd probably give that an F or a D as well. But that's honestly all the notes that I had on the game itself. I do want to talk a little bit more about the season at large. But I'll throw it over to the both of you. I mean, Fireball Matt, you were there. Chef, you were watching at home along with me. What What are some of your takeaways from the game? What What do you think went right? What do you think didn't go right? Let's just Let's just air our grievances. I I think the momentum really really killed us after the fourth down. I at the time understood going for fourth down and the fact that we were not going to be able to beat Alabama kicking field goals on Saturday. I, so I was not necessarily disappointed in that call. I think there were a few situations that we were in over our heads a little bit. Um, Alabama after that fourth down stop, they're at their own two yard line with, you know, a minute or so to go and we make a stop on first down and we call the timeout um, instead of potentially having them run that clock down to go into the half up four, uh, or at least for K-State, going into the half down four, that's a manageable situation, knowing that Alabama gets the ball at the beginning of the second half. We obviously saw just the firepower that Bryce Young can bring and, and finding guys open and the speed of those wide receivers. Um, the onside kick at the beginning of the second half, not, I felt was not a smart decision knowing that the defense had played relatively well in that first half. And so taking a low percentage play to give Alabama a really good field position, not a great decision. Um, so I, I think from a, from 
from a situation where we just didn't take necessarily advantage of the opportunities and, you know, the momentum really swang heavily in Alabama's favor in that beginning of the second half to where it was really not a situation that K-State was going to be able to come back from. Um, so I, you know, for the entire season, we've praised the coaching staff and, and truthfully, they've done a fantastic job this season. You know, we'll talk about, uh, you know, our final thoughts about the team. Um, but I, I do think some of the decisions were a little over our head and, and really we should have played some of the matchups a little bit better to try and keep it a closer game. Um, but I think we could all expect this from Alabama and Bryce Young had, you know, a game that shows he's, you know, he very much can be the, the number one pick in the draft deservingly. So, and, uh, yeah, I, it was the second half was tough to watch. It really was um, because you could just see we we were out coached a little bit. We were just out out talented in some ways too, and and it is what it is because I think we we all know what to expect from a team like that. Yeah, I agree with everything Matt just said. Um, we praise the coaches for their aggressiveness all season long, and they they made headway in that time management, clock management. I think that's what – it was a double-edged sword for Chris Kleiman on that, that, like, right after we didn't get that fourth down on the goal line, you know, people will criticize him for calling the timeout. But, you know, throughout his tenure, his first two or three seasons here – people would love to bash him for not calling timeouts and being aggressive to try to get the ball back to try to score. They're on the goal line. When, when you stop them on a first down run, that is just coaching one-on-one standard issue, no momentum or anything. We had the momentum. We were driving in there to get, to get points. So our defense held them to 14 in the first half and it was last minute of the game. So, I mean, last minute of the half, you call timeout to try to get the ball back, maybe keep them down there and go be aggressive on special teams to try to block or whatever. So I didn't have an issue with the timeout call there. And it just so happened that you gave up a 20-yard run and then it it avalanched on you and you were left for dead. But I had no issues with that aggressiveness. Now, the onside kick, yeah, that was kind of ridiculous. Uh, I can't, I don't know how to excuse it. It's aggressiveness, but it's dumb aggressiveness. Aggressiveness. It's not like how we were ever were throughout Chris Kleiman's tenure. I don't know how many onside kicks we ever did like surprise ones, maybe Oklahoma in 2021. I don't know, uh, but that's just not our way. So I was a little surprised by that, but the game itself, you know, they're Alabama. They, once they we our first few drives they were playing off like crazy and then once they started pressing it just totally changed everything for us offensively and defensively like matt said they have arguably the best player that chris Kleiman has ever seen play maybe jalen hurts uh versus us so i don't know he was he was dynamic he was throwing dots and when he first, that first throw that he had where he left it uh, 10 yards short on the guy that was completely wide open. I was like, oh, maybe he sucks. But, you know, that was a fool's errand to believe that. So 
yeah, the the game, the Sugar Bowl, not a success. We came out there and took an L, but I I was I was proud of the boys. And and that's a perfect segue into kind of the last point I have football wise before we uh, invite Grant to the stage and talk a little bit more about hoops with him. But at the end of the day, the Cats are still Big Twelve champs. We're hanging a banner. We have a future Ring of Honor running back that helped lead the way in his final season with us in Deuce Vaughn. We're reloading a lot of weapons that we already have for next year's team, and and I think the future's bright. With Will Howard, we've got a great recruiting class coming in with Avery Johnson, Joe Jackson, some of those other guys, the in-state guys and out-of-state guys. And, and you know, if we return the entire offensive line, which is a possibility, this could be a repeat situation and not just a rebuilding cycle similar to what we've seen in the past. I think – you know, to cap off the football season conversation, what are y'all's final thoughts on the football season? And, and chef, I think I'll, I'll start with you. We've talked a few times about, you know, that rebuild cycle versus reload situation. Do you finally feel confident in saying that, that this is a team where we've reached a point where that's, it's not going to be a rebuild. It's going to be a reload uh, different from what we've had in years past. I don't necessarily it's it's so weird because the guys that were leaving or that the two that we know are leaving early basically it's a given that Felix is not coming back those are in-house guys those are guys that are juniors that have been here the whole time for Chris Kleiman and those are our most talented guys and they're leaving so can we replace a production like Deuce Vaughn no there's no chance can we replace Felix and DK Uzama in the, in the grand scheme of things? Possibly he's, we're going to need some, he took on so many double teams that his numbers weren't impressive, but that changes the philosophy of our defense because now we're going to have guys that taking on, nobody's going to have those one-on-ones like they were when Felix was on the field. So reloading, I think if they would have stayed to bridge the gap, for 2024, maybe. But I think we're going to have to rebuild in the slightest way. And we've already seen with this transfer portal era that Chris Kleiman can get it done. Our O-line is solid. Quarterback, solid. Wide receivers, question mark. Running back, I think DJ Giddens is a proven commodity, but... You never know what a guy's going to do when he's that number one. So DJ Giddens could, I mean, he could be that guy. And Ben Sennett is a valuable commodity. Defense, we're losing a lot of guys. And if we would have been able to bridge the gap with some of those electric uh, all-star, all-Big 12, all-American performers that we had, then I would have said we were reloading. But... I think the defense is going to be a rebuild, and I think the offense will probably have to lead our team in 2024. Yeah, three. Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, this season has been special in, in so many ways, and I am of the opinion that with the right guys, we have the capability to reload this and and run it back for 2023. We do have some some question marks. Um, you know, the wide receiver position you brought up is it has question marks, but I also feel like with Ben Sinnott and you know, we saw Jaden Jackson get a little bit of time in that second half and, and he made a couple catches. Um it 
I, I have a lot of interest in the wide receiver position and seeing what Keegan Johnson can bring to the table. And, you know, some of these younger guys like RJ Garcia, maybe we'll see Sterling Lockett get, get some time next season, you know, seeing what they're going to be able to provide, but defensively it's going to be a challenge um, losing a guy like Felix and Uzama, you know, and, and how special he was on the defensive line, you know, are we going to be able to see Khalid Duke, you know, come in and replace some of that, you know, Nate Matlack stepping up, Brendan Mott, you know, who's going to be that nose tackle that's going to be, you know, a stalwart like Eli Huggins and, and who's going to replace Daniel Green. There's, there are a lot of question marks, but we have seen here in the past few seasons what Chris Kleiman has been able to do, especially with leveraging the transfer portal, leveraging the junior college space and, and getting some impact young freshmen too. And, and that, you know, we talked about recruiting a couple shows ago, but there's no doubt that we're going to have, you know, some of these players are going to be able to, to, to step up and get some good playing time and, uh, you know, as true freshmen. So it will be very interesting to see, um, you know, just how we're able to reload on both sides of the ball, but I'm excited. I'm excited to, to, to see what we're going to do in the off season and, and see how these kids develop and, you know, go into September and be uh, be cheering for these guys. My last football take um, for this season and going into next season with that with that question. Now that Flando's up here, and we're gonna really get Liddy up in here because my boy Flando's up. But we can we can get proven. We have athletes. We had a lot of depth, especially on defense. Uh, Offense, we've got proven commodities still, not necessarily. I shouldn't say proven, but we have talent. We have a lot of depth uh, that we could get done. And with the experience O-line, I think we'll always be successful that way. But my real big question is, how do you replace a Ty Zentner? How do you do it? Um, He literally was our entire special team. So it's going to be crazy for that. I'm going to be looking for that storyline all the way through because – we thought we had a, we had one with Chris Tennant, and that might still be the case. But, you know, we have to figure out – because we're not good enough to absolutely – he was so monumental for this season and getting a Big 12 championship that I don't think people give it enough respect. But replacing him is going to be absolutely crucial if we're going to try to even think about repeating back-to-back champs. Couldn't agree more. That's going to be a big question mark heading into next season. But the thing I keep coming back to is this previous season, there were a lot of question marks on defense and guess which, which position groups ended up being some of the best that we had. They were the position groups that had the biggest question marks heading into the season. So hopefully we'll have some questions answered there, but we also have some questions for Grant Flanders. So we want to welcome to the stage our, our good friend. He joined us about midway through the football season Grant Flanders from K-State Online. He's the associate producer and the basketball and football recruiting and team analyst. Flando, how are you doing on this lovely evening? And and how did you celebrate the Cats win last night in Austin? What's going on, guys? Uh, You know, um, I'm doing well. I'm doing well tonight. I hope you guys are all doing good, too. Uh, Last night, you know, I feel like I'm still on a high from last night's win. I mean, uh, the celebration was, you know, finish a, a story up and then stay on the phone nonstop, uh, even in bed, 
and ignore everything else around me. But, uh, you know, it was a, a lot of fun to watch, uh, see them beat Texas, really handle, handle them, I think, throughout the game. Uh, I'm sure there was a few scares here and there, but it, it wasn't enough to uh, – it was, it, was, it was the last thing I expected in a Texas-K-State game, especially um, had uh, you told me that this game was going to go to 100, I would have picked Texas 100%. I would have picked Texas regardless. But if I was going to know how K-State was going to win this game, I would have thought it was going to take a grinded-out defensive battle but they just found a, a hot streak and hopefully it keeps going because they needed it um, offensively. Yeah. Flando. I mean, when you see 116 to 103, no overtimes, what do you, what, what got into the team? Because we've got close to a hundred a couple times, but what got into the team to make the, this offensive explosion and and listening to Tang, I mean, it kind of sounds like it was just the flow of the game where nobody kind of was playing defense. But what do you think got into the the team to make them so prolific on both sides? I mean, really, I mean, Off, uh, yeah, for Texas yeah, no, and for K State. I just think that, uh, yeah, I know that's the thing is Texas was good offensively too. Didn't shoot it quite as well from deep, um, but. Uh, you know, they had a really good offensive game, but what K-State I think did so well was, uh, you know, I, I think this is an inspired bunch. I don't know, like his first year head coach, uh, this team's really rallying around each other. I, I, I just see a, a crew of really, I mean, six solid pieces right now that you can turn to. Um, it's good to see Ajiola um, fill in for uh Gasan the way he has because I, I was a little concerned with how he played when Gasan was healthy and he was you know Gasan's reserve but I, I just think you know this this team is playing inspired because that's this team it was should have been completely outmatched against a very deep Texas team that has a lot of really good players um, and K-State and really Marquis Noel and Keontae Johnson combining for the points that they did and then they couldn't have won it without Cam Carter really coming out of his shell and actually finding some success um, on offense. You know, he's been really good defensively, but he's struggled offensively, especially the past two games. I think he goose egg last two games, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so this game is one he needed 17 points, you know, six to nine shooting is, is really good for him. Eight rebounds too. I like how much they stuffed the, the stat sheet last night, but, but yeah, I don't know. I think they just rally around each other. Um, I mean, get it done without Tomlin playing many minutes, but he still scores, you know, double figures, which is a scary thought going forward for, I think, uh, Big 12 opponents. So I, I just um, – I like where this team is at right now, especially winning this kind of game without uh, the starting center because Gasson has been way more important than I ever really thought he was going to be at least this year, especially I, I wasn't – I thought he'd play some five, but I didn't know it would be exclusively – there but anyway yeah I I just think this team has uh found a a niche and they did they did I mean find the the hot streak and maybe the uh Moody Center or whatever it's called the Texas News Texas facility maybe it's also very um attractive for shooters maybe it's better for shooters in in that aspect and we see K-State go on a slump but we know this team doesn't have to win shooting a bunch of threes and shooting it really well 
but it was good to see them do that, get to a hundred. And uh, it, it is incredible, really incredible that uh, they were able to to do it in, in such an emphatic way. 116 points is the, <laughs> I, I mean, that's the thing is I will never ever in my life throw down a prediction. It's an NBA score. So pretty, pretty crazy stuff. Are you surprised at how well Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson have been playing together? Um, I, I guess my biggest thing with this season is how we all know what Marquise Noel can bring to the table. And last season he, he did a lot of great things as he was getting used to, you know, the K-State offense and whatnot, but how he has developed into a point guard and how he's worked so well with Keontae Johnson has really been an incredible thing to watch this season you know, looking at the the beginning of the season and the preparation, you know, for for the schedule and then the games that we've seen thus far, did you expect that these two would be as good as they have been together on the court at this point in the season? No, I don't think anyone could have expected they'd be scoring, you know, 36 and 28 um, together in the same game this soon into the season too. I mean, it's pretty incredible. Um, I, I knew they'd be good individually, no matter what. And I knew Marquise was going to be a really good passer as he's always been. But even I, I think Noel has uh, really gone above and beyond those expect expectations too, as a passer, because he's really, you know, <laughs> assisting the ball at a higher rate than I even uh, thought he would, especially when he's scoring the basketball the way he is. And that's why, I mean, I tweeted it yesterday. He's the best point guard in the league to me. And it's to, it's, I mean, people want, people bring up Dewan Harris from Kansas. He's a good point guard. He can't, he, you know, he's got really good vision, can pass it really well, plays really good defense. I mean, Noel does all those things. I mean, probably can't play maybe not as good of defense as Harris does, but he still plays pretty damn good defense. And then on top of it, uh, he's scoring and facilitating at a rate that Harris can't even touch, um, especially the the scoring part. And then uh, Tyrese Hunter, he just showed him one on one. I mean, Hunter went off, but he didn't. He did not facilitate. Uh, what did Hunter have? <laughs> one is one assist all game, which is pretty incredible. Thought he was going to be, you know, more of a point guard. I know Marcus Carr has the ball in his hands a bunch. And he had six assists, so I get that he's their primary ball handler. But I expected more from Hunter, and I mean Hunter is their still their true their true point guard that they that they turn to. So that's why I think Marquise Noel is the best point guard in the league. And no, I did not expect that going into the season. I would have said Tyrese Hunter, or um, I mean maybe Dewan Harris or Joe Toussaint. I mean I do think Noel was better than, or at least in the discussion with some of those guys. But I did not think he was going to be this good. And then Keontae. Um, you know, he's, I, I had a feeling he, he would be this. I mean, he was so smooth at Florida. As long as he played the same game that he played at Florida, it's Gucci. I mean, it sucks that he missed two years, but I mean, yeah, he didn't play formal basketball, but he was able to at least work on his game by himself. It's not like he just moped around and didn't do anything with his time. I'm sure he was putting in so much time, at least, you know, as much as anyone that loves basketball is putting into the game on a daily basis, two years. So I, I think he's even pro probably even better than he was at Florida. 
Um, but we just can't even tell because, I mean, Noel is somehow outdoing him right now. And he really is. The way Johnson plays is so smooth that everything is so quiet. It, it was 18 points, was quiet against West Virginia, and then another uh, somehow quiet 28 points in Austin against Texas because overshadowed by just an insane game from Marquise. Absolutely. And, and I think to bring it back to Marquise real quick, one, one question I have is how important do you think it is that the coaching staff put in pieces around Marquise that could handle his passes? He likes to make those crazy passes and distribute the ball a lot, but this team feels a lot more athletic and seemingly has better hands than last year's team. And, and frankly, just a lot of the teams that we've seen the last couple of years from K-State. How important do you think it is that the coaching staff went and found pieces to put around Marquise that could go out and handle those passes and some of the crazy stuff that he's doing that's getting us on, you know, Sports Center's top 10 plays, you know, half, half of the games that we've had have had uh, top play type of, of passes for Marquise. It's a good question. I think the fact that they added uh, Gasson and, you know, I mean, I don't know if they had this thought in their mind the whole time, but they may have been thinking the whole time, we're going to start this guy at the five. I mean, he's six, nine, he's athletic. He's, you know, he doesn't play the five, but he, he could play it in our system because we like guys that can run, jump and be athletic. So I think that was absolutely something Jerome Tang and his staff zeroed in on. They wanted that length. They wanted that athleticism. That's why a guy that, uh, yeah, I mean, and and for sure, yeah, thinking about Noel, they, I mean, they didn't, I, I know exactly what they were getting with Noel right away, but uh, I think they probably had a decent idea, realized he was a good passer, looked at his numbers, I'm sure looked at his tape, saw what he he could do, and yeah, put pieces around him, and Naquan Tomlin being one of the most important um, junior college guy that is, embodies everything that you know K State wishes would like in any any basketball team anywhere would like to have at all five spots is a guy that's long can dribble the basketball can run jump and uh block shots i think he's been one of the better defenders and i don't think it gets talked about enough because he covers so many different spots on defense um so it's absolutely a good point i mean because they don't have one guy that's not super long and at least in, really on the roster um, that at least has doesn't have decent length. Um, you look top to bottom, Cam Carter's long. I think he's strong as well, and he can get even stronger. Um, Agiola's super long. Um, uh, I think Dorian Finister's even got some length to him. So, you know, they got some guys, and Tyke Green's obviously, he's disappointed, but he, uh, he's got some length on him as well. But I, I just, I, I do like that that's what, Jerome Tang knew that he wanted to go get and he went and got it. And it turned out that uh, he really, you know, luck somehow luck in a way, I think, I don't want to say it was luck because it was totally relationships, but in a way lucked out getting Keontae Johnson in the nick of time to make this team, you know, to where that, I mean, they're about to be competing for a big 12 championship. You start two and O and you beat a top 10 Texas team. You have to start thinking that and believing that as a, I think a K-State fan. Well, I will say this. Bob brings up the length on offense that can help um, facilitate Marquise Noel's strength and passing and stuff. And we talked at the beginning of the season about the bit, the makeup of this team. And you talked about, you didn't think Gasson could probably play, was going to play the five full stop, like you said. And, 
you see this team and they they get it done offensively. They they can move the ball. They can all put it on the deck. They can all ha- handle it around the rim. But the one disappointing thing that I think we all kind of thought they were going to be able to do, like Jerome Tang said that he was going to do, is rebound the ball. And I, I'm not. I'm going to ask you the question about rebounding, but I want to say that in there was maybe five or six games that were maybe only five games that were single digits uh, this game, this season so far. And one of them is an L and they were either tied or re- out rebounded in every one of those games. So what is it with the rebounding and why are they not getting it necessarily done against the higher level competitions? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I Actually, I, I didn't. I didn't hit the <laughs> the unmute button. But uh, but um, yeah, I, I I've had the same question about the rebounding. I don't really understand it either. Uh, I thought this team would be at least somewhat dominant on the glass. You know, beating teams by you know ten on the glass each night, especially um, lower level teams, because they didn't even beat lower level teams on the glass by consistently by double digits it it felt like I could be wrong on that but it it seemed like they only did it uh, a couple times even against mid-majors but I I just think that uh, they're they're just not I don't know they're not physical enough especially down low he got Jerome Tang went and got a long and athletic team but he didn't get the most enforcing strong team i mean i liked what the route he went because he has a strength and conditioning coach that is going to get these guys stronger and stronger as time goes on but this isn't a team even down low that has a bunch of strength so i think they are getting out rebounded that way especially that's what happened against west virginia where they got obliterated on the glass it felt like especially you know early on um until they you know turned something on in the second half figured things out and won that game but I mean, it's, you could also look at it as it as it um, as a positive in a way. Um, they won. They beat a top twenty-five team by you know getting beat pretty badly on the glass uh, and doing it in different ways. So I, and then you know they come and they beat Texas on the glass. So this isn't a team I don't think that's going to get beat on the glass every every night out or anything. But it's cool to see that they can get they can get killed on the glass but still come out with a dub. Um, even if it's in overtime um, and then they regroup, they somehow rebound. Well, um, I do think Gasson is a better offensive rebounder than he is defensive. Although I think he's improved as uh, the, uh, the, the season's gone along um, defensive rebounding, but I don't know. I, I like that they out rebounded Texas in a, a, you know, a win that I, you know, no one really I just quickly wanted to talk from the defensive perspective. So this is a team that, you know, has played pretty good defense this season, Um, you know, team defense, especially for guys that have been coming together, you know, and and kind of piecemealing this thing, at least in the beginning. Uh, Even though we scored 116 last night, we gave up 103. And uh, we saw some quotes from Jerome Tang about, the fact that, you know, that's not good enough. We can't be giving up 103 points uh, in a game. What do you think from a team perspective, especially going to Baylor that 
you know, how, how do you improve in that regard? You know, it, coming off a, a game where even though you won, it was a really poor defensive effort. And now you're going back on the road on Saturday and, and trying to stop a team that has statistically been good at scoring. You know, what is, what's the mindset from, from the K-State program and, and what to do there? Yeah, I, I think um, they they do need to figure it out defensively, um, and I because I, yeah, I think some games they have figured out. This game, obviously, they really struggled, let guys get going, um, and I think yeah, they they haven't defended the three point line good enough uh, because yeah, Texas still shot over just over forty percent from three. That's really good any night, so. Uh, KC, they probably lose to Baylor if they allow that because I don't know if KC's going to be able to shoot the way they did. Um, so, and I, I just don't know. I think it's just going to take time. Defense is always something that, I mean, through the years of covering Bruce Weber, I, if I can take something from from covering that that team, it took time for guys to figure that side of the floor out. And I think it is taking time for guys on this team to figure it out and master it to where they're playing and they're locking guys up and they're not, they're not leaving many wide open threes because I feel like that's something that's been the biggest frustration on the defensive side of things is way too many wide open threes given up. And um, that's just going to get you beat in the big 12 more often than not. Um, You know, they're, they're luckily have some guys that can score the basketball, they luckily have Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson, but they'll need Cam Carter to show up again if they want to beat Baylor like that. And that's just not a guarantee at this point. Um, so they're going to, they're going to need to step it up. I like how they slowed Texas down, you know, later in the game by switching it up on defense, going to the zone. Um, you know, cause sometimes a man to man does make it easy to, you know, get to the rim and the way Texas is long and athletic, <laughs> Uh, they needed to switch it up, uh, but then it makes you susceptible to yeah, giving up open threes and um, the, the amount they switch. I think that is a part of the reason too they give up so many open threes because I think you can can, can get confused and sometimes um, just miss assignments or overhelp or this that and the other, and that's getting them beat. And um, luckily, it's not getting them beat on the scoreboard enough, but that's something that they're going to have to figure out and. I don't know. That's why, I mean, it's going to be tough. They're two and zero right now. And, you know, you want to pick them on the road to beat Baylor as they're staying down in Texas, you know, the whole week, not going back home um, as far as what we heard. And um, to me, that's, that's a smart call. Try to figure, figure out. And, and I think the, I think Jerome Tang does have an advantage of knowing his team. He knows some of the players on Baylor's roster. So I think it's going to be a good game, but I'm still, it's still going to be tough for me to pick K state considering um, the, the defense hasn't been up to par yet. I think they beat, they can beat Baylor at home, but I'm not, it's not going to, until they really, uh, really stifle people on defense, turn them over a bunch and, and turn things into more grinded out games. Cause they're not going to win every game with shootouts uh, until they do that. I, I, I'm not going to pick them to beat, the likes of Baylor on the road. So we'll see. I think my last question, then I'll, then I'll open it up to the rest of the room and, and the other guys, but 
What are kind of your overall thoughts on the season so far? What are some of the, I, you've already talked about like rebounding being an area that we need to improve in, but what are some of the areas that you think the team has shined the most so far? And what are the areas of improvement that you think are going to be critical for this team to see a level of consistency and keeping in the momentum that we've seen so far throughout Big 12 play, not just through the first two games, but as we go through the next two months of Big 12 play and then heading into the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City? I would say uh, dunking is something that I think they've surpassed my expectations and they've just been dunking way more than Bruce Weber teams ever did, which is really exciting to see and the, the athleticism that they've display and the hops that some of these guys got um and the alley oops just a lot of you know fun dunks i mean we saw we we got to see an alley oop off the glass from noel de chiante you know with tomlin and carter right there too and i mean we already have seen that and that's somewhere that's that's an area where this team has really meshed so well is a ball movement. I mean, Noel already being so comfortable with these guys to, you know, feed them in the right spots, throw, throw them oops from weird different angles, um, you know, and, and just be unselfish, but also be a killer with the basketball. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think uh, the dunking, I think has been something that has far exceeded my expectations. And I mean, just the fact that they've also won, I mean, they're tw- they beat Texas. They're, they start two and zero. Even someone like me, who going into the season is thinking that this team has the potential of being a top half of the league team and maybe competing, be, maybe being in the top three of, of the league. Uh, I didn't even. I would never. I wouldn't even picked them to beat Texas. I would have picked them going one and one and probably one and two and having to fight back um, from behind on the, the later, you know, parts of the schedule, but instead now they're starting, you know, ahead of schedule. And uh, that's something I, I think you can, you can also point to as somewhere that they're already over exceeding expectations. Sure. You want them to beat Butler and they'd be undefeated right now. And who knows how high they'd be ranked, but shoot, they're going to get ranked now that they've beat Texas. I think even if they lose the Baylor, they'll probably, you know, get in there at least, you know, in the 20 to 25 range. So, and then, uh, you know, where I think they, I'd like to see them improve. I'll stick on the defensive end. I, I'd like to see them turn teams over more. I, I thought that they would be, you know, really good at that. And I think they have against, you know, worse competition, but I mean, they, they gave up more turnovers than Texas did. Texas, was nine turnovers, just missed double-figure turnovers. I would like to see – I thought this team, with all the length, athleticism, the defense that they play, that they would have more deflections, more um, steals. And, you know, they, ha- they, they, they do get some. I just thought there'd be more and more turnovers. And uh, I, I'd like to see that moving forward improve, um, specifically defensively, especially if, if they're going to keep giving up uh, open threes that area is definitely needs to even step it up even more Um, because then, because I could also like, we just talked about uh, mention, you know, the rebounding and the fact they give up too many open threes on defense. Those are areas that I think 
could all be improved. And if they improve those, then they're really lethal. But I mean, they're already looking pretty good. Obviously they have some things that they can get better at, but two and all conference play, like I said, I was, I would have never guessed it. So it's exciting. Get in there, Scott. <laughs> what was that? What was, wait, what yeah. was that thing that plopped into the water? I, I don't want to know what you're doing. I do not want <laughs> to know what drinking. you're doing, Chip. I'm drinking water. I'm not taking a dump. I promise. Yeah, it sounded like a slug. <laughs> Scott, go. Yeah, uh, first off, uh, shout out to Cocaine Willie. Um, love you guys. Also love Grant. Um, yeah, so I, I guess here's a question for you. Um there's not going to be any tangible answer for this, but with the team going down to Texas on a Monday, staying all the way through Sunday, or pro- they'll probably stay, uh, they'll fly back Saturday, but that long of a trip being away from Manhattan, do you like that move from Jerome Tang? He can, he can only really pull that off. Uh, you know, this trip because there's no class or anything like that. But do you like that move in a team building balance or do you think they're missing out something being back home, uh, eating at the training table, being at home, practicing in the gym, all that type of stuff? What What's your take on them staying down there? I think that's super smart to stay down there, um, you know, because it's I think being uncomfortable in situations, I mean, it's still you know, we'll put them up in nice places and whatnot, but you know, still, yeah, it's not going to be home. They get to experience different places, which is something if they are, if they want to make it far in the NCAA tournament, that's what they're going to have to deal with. Um, you know, weeks of being away and, and playing a bunch of games and, and uh, just nonstop being on the road. So I, I like the move um, as a preparation standpoint for that. I also think it, it I think it helped betters their chances of, of, of uh, possibly beating Baylor staying down there. And um, I don't know, like I know it's the same time zone. So there's no jet lag involved or anything like that, obviously, but I, there's still, I think something to not having to fly or anything multiple times, being able to stay down there, just relax uh, the rest of the days until the game. I, I like the move a lot. The only thing we're missing out, I think in Manhattan is, uh, I don't think the, the students are missing out much. Maybe they're missing their girlfriends, but shoot, they'll probably find more girlfriends in Waco. So there's, there's not always, in Waco. I mean, I, I, I hope they stay in Austin. If that's the aim, oh, that's a good point. Hopefully they are staying in Austin for their sakes. But I mean, knowing, knowing Jerome, shoot, he's probably, he's probably excited to get back to Waco, uh, you know, see some family that's still there and, uh, everyone that he knows, I'm I'm sure they that might be part of the reason they're staying down there too, so he can reconnect with some people from there. But the only like what I was going to say was the only thing we're missing in Manhattan, and it's not the players that they're missing their girlfriends. We're missing hang with Tang, and you know that's always a great feature every week. So I'm definitely going to miss that part. But besides that, I think it was a heck of a call, and uh, I, I mean I, I like I said I don't know if it's going to make me pick them to beat Baylor but I, I think they can keep it a close game and I think them staying down there helps how how much of that staying down there in Texas how much of that do you feel like was informed by 
Well, wasn't it that first road trip to Butler where weren't there some issues and then Tang was like, hey, we're going to make some adjustments to the travel schedule. Do you feel like some of that was informed by the previous travel experience and maybe what worked when they went to Kansas City and and the Cayman Islands Classic, some of that stuff? I guess I'm just kind of curious behind the scenes if it was informed by that and, and maybe what some of those travel issues were, if you're able to get into that, maybe not. No, you know, that's a really great point. And I'd honestly completely forgotten about those. Those absolutely did happen. I, I don't know the exact details of what went on, but there was some mishaps with the travel. I, I, I do remember hearing the exact details, but I can't quite remember them um, off the top of my head. But they definitely had, they had some issues, um, you know, and I completely forgot. So this whole time I'm thinking it was just, you know, Chef was the – the one that was cursing K-State because that's the one game he's been to, right? Have you been to any other games? No, no, no. And it, so so it, you are the curse for now. It makes me sick because I tried to buy Scott some nachos and he wouldn't. <laughs> he wouldn't look at his phone. And I think that was the reason why. Because I, I forgot I'm Scott sorry. was there too. Yeah, no, oh, Chef, Chef, I'm sorry. So I, I ran into <laughs> my high school choir director was at that game. And here, here's here's some bad luck. The last time I had I had seen him before that was in Atlanta, and we hung out before the Loyola Chicago game. So me and my high school choir director linking up uh, at K State basketball games that might be the bad luck. I don't think it's Chef. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Thank gotcha. God, because I I honestly thought it was me. So no, it is it is not your fault, Chef. It is it is me and Doctor Adam White uh, hanging out at basketball games together. So that is the uh, that's the curse, not you. That that curse to the travel for the trip. Yes, uh, I'm hopping off. Everyone have a good night. Good night, Scott. Good night, Scott. Thanks for popping on, Scott. There's a um a question from Will in the chat because he had to leave. He says, um, I think we all thought our ceiling on the individual game basis was beating teams like Texas. So I'm not sure our feelings have moved, but ha- but have the last few results raised the floor of the team? Hmm. Um has the last few games raised the floor of the team? I mean, yeah, I think so. You start two and zero in Big Twelve play, or twelve and one. You only lost one game all year going into the season. I mean, that's the thing is people, I think, assume going into the season that they don't maybe lose one at most two non conference games. Um, and but but no one expected beating Texas. Beating Texas raises their floor. I hundred percent think that's the case. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, let's think about it this way. Um, if you look at those the the vision board, that's what I've been calling it of the the team with all the check marks, the check marks and the boxes and stuff like that. So they had go undefeated in non con, win the win the tournament out in the Cayman Islands, go nine and zero at home. Uh, I don't know. I didn't see anything about road road victories, but let's say they hold serve at home at, right now. They they play Florida at home too, right? Correct. Yep. That yes. yes. Yeah. yeah that okay. Was... So that's let's say that's ten and zero. So let's add ten wins to what we have right now. That is twenty three and let's say this 
worst case scenario, we don't win another game on the road. That's eight more losses. So that's 23 and eight. I mean, absolutely. There is in no world where I thought this team was going 23 and eight uh, before the, the Kansas City tournament for the Big 12. So that's some really good math. So I, for me, the season is already, I mean, skyrocketed in the floor that that's the floor. If we go undefeated at home, let's just say we split that's 21 and 10. I I think 21 and 10 right now will get you a, a nine or an eight seed in a tournament NCAA tournament. I mean, that is just way beyond the floor that I ever thought we would ever see. And yeah, it is pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. I mean, because I don't know, like, I guess I I somewhat expected it. I just didn't expect them to beat Texas. That's what's so crazy. And that's what makes that an interesting question that Will had is, is you can, I think, put a lot of emphasis on one game. I mean, and even without Chris Beard there, I mean, Texas just beat, uh, you know, a decent Oklahoma team on the road. Um, before they faced us and or before they faced K-State. And K-State just got it done. They just It just felt like, you know, yeah, the defense wasn't great, but it just felt like they controlled the game the whole time. And, um, I mean, scoring that many points, you know, and, and how prolific Marquise Noel was and Keontae, I don't know. I just think this team definitely is proven um, – uh, yeah, proving any doubt is wrong. I mean, if 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 there's anyone, if there's anything that can point to not to really give this guy much kudos or credit for anything, in fact, he he's wrong, and he pointed out that he was wrong. Um, was Kevin Keatsman? Um, you know, he didn't say it in a very good enough way. His first initial tweet back when Tang was hired was super nasty, and now he's kind of like ha ha ha. Oh, you know, I did this and, and, uh, but you know, I, I, I'm glad to be wrong. Like, shut up. I just really think that this team is, is, is definitely, uh, blowing expectations out of the water, I think already. And they do need to keep it up. But like you said, you just did the math. They could kind of cruise, I think, the rest of the way and still get it, uh, get into the tournament. I win the games that they're supposed to win. Uh, you know, you can lose the ones that you're supposed to lose and you can still be a top. I think somehow they can try to sneak into the top half of the league and, and get that, you know, fourth that I, I predicted at the start. Man, you were on that. And chef, <laughs> dude, chef, chef, you doing that math, like going back through the seasons, the last two times that we, that we lost eight games, nine games, those were big 12 championship years. It was, it was 2018, 19. Big. And it was 2012-2013. Yeah, and, and those those ones we had, if I can remember right, I mean, we had some tough non-con losses. And, I mean, what we go, six, five games, five losses in conference? Or six games? Yeah, 14, yeah, 14 20, and four. Dude, yeah, 14 and four. We lost to Michigan, who was number four, and Gonzaga, who yep. was number fourteen. We did beat Florida, number eight Florida, in that game in Kansas City. I was at that game. Um, that was a blast. And yeah, Big Twelve play was fourteen and four. Yep i I've always felt that after the non conference schedule, I felt the floor we had to be eight and ten to to sneak in. 
Um, obviously with this Texas win, especially on the road, I mean, this is a, probably the best win from a big 12 team perspective in conference thus far. So, I mean, could this team, I guess, sneak in at like seven and 11, if we really shit the bed, I don't think we will, but this win is going to really pay on selection Sunday. I mean, this is a really good win. And, you know, I, I, I will also say this now that the fan engagement is, is at a high Bramlage Coliseum is going to be electric for these home games. It really is. And that's going to play just such a huge impact in the rest of the season. And, and I'm glad to see that, you know, for the game next Tuesday, they're trying to get fans in with the $10 GA tickets. I'm going to be there um, bringing people there, you know, the Bramwich Coliseum at its best, I feel like does rival some of the best places to watch a basketball game in the country. And, and the success is going to really help Jerome Tang and the team. My, uh, I, my, I was just throwing real quick, my appreciation for Bramlage has increased a lot. I think in the past year, I, I do think it's a solid facility. Um, and, and they're, you know, they're upping, I think the quality of it every year. So I, I, I don't, I used to be under the uh, umbrella of tear it all down, start new, but now I, I, I take that back. I'm on the, I'm on the. I agree. I think they've done a really good job with Bramlage, especially with the, with the Shamrock zone, some of the improvements they've made this, I think this previous off season with some of the club level stuff, I think it's a really quality, really quality facility. And I used to be part of the crowd that was like, Hey, I love the history of Ahern, but at the same time, like, it's just not feasible to try to get something retrofitted into a, you know, 80 year old facility. But I, I wanted to make one quick point. I think fireball, Matt, you brought up a great point on this win's going to matter a lot on selection Sunday. You look at, you know, take transitive property for what it's worth, but you look at the teams that Texas has beaten thus far. They beat a number two Gonzaga team who's now ranked ninth. So that win has upheld its value um, for the most part. They beat a number 17 Illinois team, and Illinois is currently ranked. Uh, are they ranked? Wait, did they drop? They dropped. They're nine and four overall, but they're, yeah, they're, they're dropping. still a it's still a good Illinois team, I would say. I mean, we we all know what Brad Underwood brings to the table for the most part. Um, and then they had, they had a good win against Creighton, who at the time was number seven and has since dropped out of the rankings as well. But um, this mean this win is really going to mean a lot on Selection Sunday, and and I would equate it to in in a year where KU is a top ten team, this is the equivalent of beating a top ten KU team because they do have a really quality non conference schedule coming into this season that. Frankly, last year's UT team did not have that. And so if they were a top 10 team last year, you maybe have to take it with a grain of salt. But this is a really battle-tested Texas team. And this win is very, very critical, I think, for for Selection Sunday. And and I think it's going to be a huge momentum boost for the Cats as we head, you know, head into conference play. We're already in conference play, but as we continue conference play uh, over the next few weeks. But we've got a couple other guys here in the live room. Uh, we've got Evan Ham. We've got Coley Dub. What questions do you have for Grant Flanders? What questions do you have in general? We're just talking hoops, so fire away, boys. Uh, before they get in there, if they if they have any questions, I want to bookmark where we were just at because I have a question about resumes. So I want to remember. I'm going to write it in the chat, but about resumes, if they don't have any questions. 
you go first. Well, okay. Well, then, <clears throat> if we're talking resumes, um, I, I mean, I've I've watched college basketball for a really long time, and I've always been into Selection Sunday and the and the quad one wins and quad two wins and stuff like that. So, are how do they define those quad ones and quad two wins? Are those look back at the end of the season, or those are just where they were at at the current time? Because if you look at like our schedule, like the non-con was kind of shit. But if you look at LSU, LSU is a really, really good team. And I don't think they counted that as a quad one. And everybody's win. talking about on a neutral Everybody's fight. talking about LSU, K-State, and Mizzou in the same breath right now as being those like just the one or two or three teams that are outside of the top 25 right now. So that I would say that LSU win is a quality win at this point for K-State as well right and i just yeah i just didn't know how they defined it like because is that a quad one win now because they've had success and it was on a neutral site it it should be is it not i don't know what the are they not categorized it as that because it absolutely is current based like at the end of the year they're looking at like k-state fans will be focusing in on uh you know what might be happening in a specific LSU game down the road. If if they lose that game, it'll drop them to a quad two. That's I mean I think end of the season. That's some of the chatter that happens. So it's definitely like current. They go off of current like what happens. But how many quad one wins does K right because have? because LSU just battled with Kentucky. I mean Kentucky's having a down year in their standards, but LSU was still battling with them. They were twelve and one. Their one loss was to us. So I was just wondering if they, because at the time there, I don't think they had LSU for us considered a quad one win. K State is three and one in quad one games, so they they count Butler in quad one, and I'm assuming Holy Texas, Texas is quad one, West Virginia's quad one, and then I'm guessing LSU is that only other quad one win, and then they have one, they're one and zero oh in quad two. They're two and zero in quad three and seven and zero in quad four. Yeah, I mean that. And if you think if if four quad one games right now, I mean that is really really good if you think about it. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, West Virginia you, is ranked one spot ahead in the net right now at the moment, and they have they're one and four in quad one games. Exactly. Like I just I. Uh, when because I was listening to a podcast and they were describing Kansas State as like not not until we got to conference play not having played anybody of substance and I was just like wow I mean realistically they scheduled the Cal game just to get a Power Five program on there and to get them some road experience but other than that I mean the 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 field for the Cayman Classic I mean Nevada's a decent squad I I think. I think they might be quad three, but I'm not sure. But yep. they, they're a decent squad and Rhode Island shit. But that that LSU game is sticking with me, and I've been watching them consistently just to see where they're at. And, and an, I, another another team that could potentially become a quad, maybe not a quad one, but definitely a quad two, is that Nebraska team. Like, they could make some noise in the Big Ten this year. Like, they're not a good team. Historically, they're a terrible team. They've yeah. never won an NCAA tournament game, but – they are a good team. They beat Iowa. 
Um, and they, I guess they got kind of clobbered by Michigan state, but Tom Izzo is going to Tom Izzo. They've got a pretty interesting slate coming up because they played really close with Purdue a couple weeks back. And then they've got, um, they've got Minnesota, Illinois, and then number one, Purdue, that's their next three games. So they're, they're going to get another shot at Purdue. They're going to get a shot at number 24, Ohio state. So I would keep your eyes on Nebraska. If you're, if you're interested in the resume and how this win is going to look when we look back, you know three months i mean i think the key thing as we look at jerome tang's tenure and i know that he had to put a schedule together very quickly that probably wasn't what he wanted but i'm excited to see how he does schedule for 2023 um you know how many how many high major teams can we get to bramlage you know uh, is going to be be really interesting to see because i think for me one of the biggest frustrations has been not being able to get quality teams to come to Bramwich in the non-conference. And so I hope for next season, we see some of that. Um, that's that's I'm hoping and praying because I would love, love to, to, to get a good, get team, a good in team, team in there. They're scared of the dune. Yo, I'm not, uh, no, I mean, they, they might be scared of the dune, but, the the quality of non conference opponents in the brain has, not been, has not been great. Right. I was just being smart. Let's I mean the the team right now, when do, I mean Grant might have insight onto this because uh Gasson was a day to day for the Texas game. If he were to return, where do the where does the rotation go? Because We've obviously seen big minutes from Ish, and I don't necessarily think they want to go with that. Even though I, I think people are kind of shitting on Ish for all the wrong reasons, um, but obviously his minutes will go down. To, and you said earlier, uh, Grant, that Tyke Green has been a, a disappointment, and I think after those first like five or six games, he, his minutes have gone down, and he kind of has been really a. Uh, a disappointment, if you can say that. I don't like to shit on kids like that, but you know, for his the standard, I thought he was going to bring to the team. He has where where did the minutes go, and does the lineup actually get shorter once Gasson gets back? Um, you know, that's a good question because it definitely was shorter when Gasson was uh, healthy in the lineup. Agiola didn't play that that often. Um, it, it seemed like. Tyke Green. I mean, that's the interesting thing, though, is even without Gasson in the lineup, Green only played five minutes against Texas, so he's really starting to, it seems, to get put, getting pushed out of the, the lineup. He's the only player to not um, that that played in the game, K State player that played in the game to uh, not play over ten minutes, and Agiola was the only other player to play. He played 14 minutes. Everyone else played over 20 minutes. So, yeah, Green seems to be getting pushed out of the rotation altogether. Um, and then Ish is an interesting case because, you know, he can uh, he can shoot the ball. And I think he does some okay things on defense here and there. But he, but then, you know, it followed, it's followed up by frustrating moments. Uh That'll be interesting to see what happens with his minutes, but he also missed every field goal that he took against Texas. So if if Gasson is 
is ready to go um, on Saturday, which I don't know right now if that's going to be the case or not. They could definitely use it. If that were to happen, I would think Masood goes back down to, you know, around 10 minutes. Um, like it, it seems like he's been playing per game. Um, and then, yeah, I just, I do think it could get shorter. Um, although Agiola has, I think, proven and earned some more minutes off the bench. So I think if it does expand more than it was when uh, Gasan was healthy, I think it's Agiola giving in, giving some more PT um, to spell uh, Gasan here and there. So then Tomlin doesn't have to play the five as much if, if they don't want to. Coley Dub, fire away, brother. So this is a less serious question. Um, Grant, Flando, a big game graze, yay or nay? <laughs> and I'm going to need you to uh, just sweet talk Coach Tang and the players to bring them back. Well, are they gone? I guess I didn't know they were – I guess we didn't see we them. Not see them Wait, did we, we not have see them grace with the – like the current uniform set that we have, I don't even remember gray uniforms of the current. It was like a weird, like light gray or something, wasn't it? Maybe we don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we have grays so, for the current uniform set. I, I think we've got the the script Wildcats we've brought out for a couple big games, and then we've got the lavenders. But but Flando, I'll throw it to you. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I usually 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 been against grays, but if they can get the color just right. I do think it needs to be a little lighter gray than it was back when uh, Gibson was sweating up those, sweating up those, those uh, big game grays. But I don't know. I think I I, I like, I like that they get caught. Like I like the, the tradition with them and that they get called big game grays. And, but that's the thing is now we have even cooler uniforms now with lavender, uh, I mean, the lavenders look great in Texas. I like that. I even like when they two tone it. I know some people hate that shit, but I think it's cool. And um, and then the oh yeah, the coolest one of them all. I think the coolest K State uh jersey for any sport anywhere is the script Wildcat across the chest. Um, I think that is so slick and it's so perfect for uh, basketball. I don't even know if they could replicate the script Wildcats in football some way somehow, but it's so perfect for basketball. So I personally don't need the big game grades. If they do bring them back, uh, they'll have to do lighter color, but um, I'll, I'll do some sweet talking anyway, just cause I like coach Tang. One thing I noticed after the game, the other night, it seemed like the all lavender got a lot more love on Twitter by not just like K state fans, but from outside of K state fans. And like what you normally see, usually people just shit on the lavender that are not K-State related, but I was seeing some love for him. Well, and, and usually usually when people are shitting on it, it's because we get the waiver from the NCAA to do the two-tone. But I, I love the two-tone. I thought the two-tone was the best look that we had. But then watching that game last night, I, I think the I think the all lavender might have convinced me that that might be the better look, but maybe I was, I'm just viewing it through lavender tinted glasses uh, in watching 116 points get put up against the Texas Longhorns in Austin, but maybe that's just me. 
You know, I like um, I like both. Like I said, the two tone and the all lavender. I wouldn't mind though if they if they went with that dark purple on the jersey and they on the on the shorts of the two tone lavender and made a full jersey of that just to see what that looks like with some lavender uh, accents as well to it. Um, and then also having the lavenders. I wouldn't mind seeing what that looks like. If it looks stupid, it looks stupid. But I kind of like that dark purple that they had with the two tones. And I think that's why I oh, like man. the two tones so much. You're getting me all hot and bothered, man. Like the purple with the lavender, but with the same like Kansas State over the it, over the number. Oh my God, that'd be hot. Yep. Oh man. Flando, you said something earlier uh from a Coley Dub question. Uh, talking about sweet talking, and this I'm this is not a criticism of Coach Tame because he's an intense he's an intense man. He's very he seems very friendly. He seems very genuine and stuff. But in pressers, is he kind of like he's not short, but he seems uh, what's the word I'm trying to look? He seems very weirded by people asking him questions. Is that, is that, do you get that? Or am I just like, just sensing that for no reason in his post game questions or in press conferences in general? No, I think you're right. I, I don't know. I think he's so genuine that he doesn't even put up with bullshit. And some, even I, I get, am, um, I think, uh, guilty of it sometimes asking a dumb question. Everyone asks a dumb question every now and then. And I mean, he's not, I've seen worse, you know, it's not right. What, whatever the hell you want to write type of response, but I do know what you're talking about. It's kind of like, uh, he'll, he'll like kind of give you a response that does make you feel like your question was stupid because it was stupid. Um, so I, I do. Yeah. I, I think that's a thing that, that Tang does. I think if it's a question that is, I mean, any coach doesn't like negative questions. So there's that. I mean, and they'll always make you feel, I think, stupid no matter what. On a, I mean, a negative question unless it's, uh, you know, something nice. But, you know, if it's a nice question, I think Tang's taken those with stride. Um, but in general, I think you're right. Even with those uh, nicer questions where I think he, you know, where he enjoys answering them, he still doesn't um, expand. But then again, I think we were used to um, we were used to Bruce Weber, you know, talking heads off. And I mean, we also have Skylar Thompson. If you're a K State fan, Skylar Thompson in the Rolodex of long-winded speakers. So I, I do understand how Tang could come off as short, but I, I do think there's probably even shorter coaches out there. Yeah, it just, it just seems like he's very um, he he doesn't like hypotheticals, and he doesn't. I mean, even Kleiman hates that shit too. Like they hate hypotheticals and they don't like asking questions like, um, like fan questions. Like if I was to ask questions, I would ask fan questions. Like, uh, what do you think this team would do in this? Like that, like he doesn't like hypotheticals and he doesn't like fan questions, which is so weird because like those seem like they would be the softball, like the, they're very easy to answer questions. Not like the, throwing numbers at him and grilling them kind of questions. He seems to handle those. It's just the the hypotheticals and the fan questions. He hates them. It's just so weird. I mean, that's the thing, too, is he's going to have to uh, – he's gone so many years without having to deal with 
press conferences that uh, I'm sure it's something that he's still acclimating himself to. I, th- I feel like I've noticed maybe, maybe it's, I didn't notice. That, I don't think after as much against Texas. So maybe it means like the honeymoon phase is, is coming to an end for him um, as far as like himself and how he feels in his role. But the first, every single press conference up until recently, I feel like he's had a little glisten in his eye. Like there's definitely some emotions going through, you know, the locker room and stuff like that. Um, and maybe, you know, that can also, you know, throw him off with press conferences and stuff somewhat. But yeah, I think he's been good overall. He's been solid in press conferences. But I also do know what you're talking about. Um, and I think it's understandable. I, like, I don't know what it is, but us K-State uh, media types sometimes ask dumb ass questions. Um, Flando, who's been, I don't know how much you've been able to like interact with the team directly at all yet. Um, but who's been like your, who's like the most outgoing or who's been your most favorite person to talk? Uh, It's gotta be Keese. Uh, I just think, you know, cool dude. I like Keontae as well. And and Naquan, I mean, the the ones that I've interacted with the most in in post-game press conferences and stuff like that is. And, uh, but Keese, I think is, uh, you know, since he was around last year, I got to know him from that. And then this year, uh, talked to him, I, you know, we didn't, I, he didn't really know who I was last year. And then this year at the big 12 media day in Kansas city, you know, I introduced myself to him. He said, before I was going to ask him questions, he was like, Oh, you're, you're the guy from like Twitter. I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's me. Um, you still don't follow me though, so you might as well go ahead and, and do that, Keith, because I know you're listening to this right now. You're listening to the Cocaine Willie podcast hour into this thing. But anyway, yeah, Keith is my guy. I think he's a cool dude um, and a hell of a basketball player. I like his story, I like how he's the underdog, um, you know, short dude, uh, short king. I mean, let's be honest. This guy is just just balling, balling out at five seven, five eight, and I'm six two, tip tapping away on a computer because I don't have, you know, the ability or the the will and the want and the the fight, the the dog, the cat that the guy has in his heart. So I don't know that, that I I have a lot of respect for him, and I think he uh, he embodies a lot of things. That K-State is similar to uh, Barry Brown, but gives his own kind of sweet. I love it. Well, do y'all have any other questions for Flando before we uh, go ahead and take it offline? Yeah, I, I just – I literally just text the group. Uh, I just saw it. But, and uh, that's, that's funny, but I want to ask Flando – before we get out of here or before we let him go, I don't know if we're talking anymore, but I think we're going to end it, but give me, give me your prediction on where do you think it goes? Cause I'm sure we'll have you on some other time, uh, oh, yeah. hopefully soon, but uh, I want to see, I want to hear what you got to hear uh, say for the back half of the, the conference schedule. I mean, <laughs> prediction. It's uh, it's always a gauntlet in the big 12. And I think that's, Speaking of like questions, asking Tang and stuff, I think that was one of the questions I recently asked him after uh, the West Virginia game. 
I specifically was like, oh, what about this tough road you got up, this two-game stretch you got coming up in Texas? And he quickly was like, hold on now. <laughs> it's a lot more than just those two games, which he's right. I mean, it is a gauntlet. Oklahoma State is who they got up um, next Tuesday, and they've been playing people tough, so there's no guarantees of that. But I think they win that game. So let's let's just count them out. Let's count them out right now. I think they win that one. They might lose to TCU, so I can see them going through. What's that? One, two, three, four, four and one. Probably four and two losing to Kansas. But I do think they can split with Kansas. So I'll go uh, five and one there because I I think they can beat them at uh, home. Uh, Six and one, Texas Tech. Maybe they lose to Iowa State. Six and two. Uh, six and three, seven and three, eight and three, eight and four, maybe eight and five, nine and five, ten and five, eleven and five. Oh my <laughs> god! <laughs> wow. Maybe I'll go eleven. Yeah, I think they can go. What is that? Twelve and. What twelve and six? Is that is that sound right? Yeah, twelve and six would be. I think that's eighteen. Yeah. Twelve and six. Is, that's eighteen uh, games. If, <laughs> if we go twelve and six, halt. Chalk it up. We're we're conference champions. <laughs> it is kind of crazy going through the the schedule. I mean, that's I, I see. I think it's plausible. I think the more realistic is ten or eleven. Um, but it is funny when you count it out, and maybe uh, you know you have some purple shaded lenses, especially if coming off of a top 10 win. Um, but the, oh wait, I guess I did have them beating Baylor right there too. So I think, yeah, probably 11, 10 or 11 is more realistic. And I yeah, I think top five at, at least. And I think top three is very possible in the big 12 with where things sit right now. I mean, there's some teams that are vulnerable. Oklahoma state is a team. No one thought was going to be anything this year, or at least not, you know, top half of the league. Good. No one, was banking on Oklahoma State to be in the top half of the league. But they have a shot um, because they've been playing teams tough. And I think – didn't they just get their the win? Aren't they one and one Yeah, they, just yeah, beat, they West beat West Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think um, league's really tough, uh, and so it's not going to be easy. So I think 10 is probably the more realistic. But I do think ceiling's probably, yeah, like 12. I think 12 wins is probably the ceiling of, of this current squad. I'm trying to think of who. Okay, so Oklahoma doesn't have a win in conference. Uh, Baylor and TCU play each other. They were both one and zero, right? Or were or was Baylor zero and one? Baylor lost to Baylor was zero and one. They lost to Iowa. So they've lost two. They're zero. They're zero and one. They're zero and one going into the match yeah, against okay. TCU, and it, right? Yeah. And I think they're beating the hell out of TCU right now. Yeah, they're, they're, it's 57-50 right now. I forgot that game was going on. Okay, yeah, they're they were 50, up, Yeah, they were 57-50. Um, so, I mean, that's going to be a one and, one and one for those two teams. Um, I mean, and Iowa State got the dub today, so they're 2-0. and oh. I mean, there's no – I mean, we're just – this win versus Texas, I, I mean, I can't say it enough. It leapfrogged us into ex, ahead of schedule, and, and I think – Scott said it on Bosco's boys. It, it, you're playing with house money in this back, this second game of the Texas road trip. 
And if you get this one, I mean, fuck. I mean, I don't even, I don't even want to talk about it right now, but I'm, I'm getting super excited. No, that is crazy to think about. If you do win this one, you're looking at three and start and you got through Texas and Baylor on the road. Who's to say you beat them on the road. Who's to say you can't beat them at home. I mean, if, yeah, if they, if they beat Baylor, then I'm saying 12 wins <laughs> is happening. That's um, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, if you, if you, all you got to do is really realistically big 12 conference games are all about holding serve at home and they've been excellent with that. And if, and that's even with football season going on. So the octagon wasn't even rocking like Matt had brought up earlier. If it's rocking, dude, that is beyond home court advantage. And I mean, who, who cares what happens at Allen Fieldhouse, but you've got two matchups with KU within the month. I feel like usually they're five, six weeks apart, but this time you've got them basically back to back within 14 days of each other. So you've got two massive matchups against KU coming off of TCU, Okie State, Baylor, Texas, West Virginia. That is a gauntlet to what to what Grant was saying when he when he was interviewing Tane. He's like, it ain't just those two games. You've got an absolute gauntlet. The entire conference slate is that, but these specific, you know, five, six, seven games. Man, if you can come out of that, let's see, you've got Baylor, Okie State, TCU, KU, Tech, Iowa State. If you can come out of that with two, three more wins, you're looking pretty good, I would say, for conference play. Matt, how many – Matt, actually everybody, how many How many Big 12 teams make it to the tournament this year? Ten. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I think eight. I mean, I think eight. I think eight. <laughs> I think that's – I think that's a good, good guess. For this year with how good um, things are, how high everyone is in the net right now, and they've had eight teams in the past go, so I think that's a, a good guess. Because I think we're gonna see we're gonna see a small handful of teams filter to the bottom. Um, whether that's Oklahoma State, you know, if, I, I mean Iowa State's been on a tear. The the scary part is you just don't know what team what teams are gonna drop down into that kind of third tier. I would say, and I obviously hope it's not us but well i mean we'll it's it's tough yeah i i don't see any more it's tough i feel like i feel like oklahoma and oklahoma state are probably the two most likely candidates and those two teams are still pretty freaking good like oklahoma lost a game to nova by four points granted nova's not what they have been in years past but that's a pretty you know, that's a pretty solid loss there. If you're, if you're talking about quality losses, just based on the brand name alone, um, Oklahoma state tech. Yeah. I mean, we all saw what happened against tech last night too. While, while our game was going on, like tech is technically and two in conference play 10 and four, like maybe lower third of the conference, but tech is salty as hell too. So it's tough there are going to be teams that are going to float to the bottom and, and aren't going to make it. But I mean, if you ask me point blank gun to my head, I would love to see 10 teams make it in. I know it's not going to happen because we all talk about every year, at least the last two or three years. What if all 10 teams made it into the tournament, but there are always going to be two or three teams that, that find a way out. So I'm going to say seven teams make it in. I would love to see eight, nine, 10, but 
I just I don't think we're going to see ten teams in the tournament ever. Probably. I agree with Dylan in the chat. I think it's going to be nine. I think Oklahoma is going to pull themselves back as probably the worst team in the the conference. Um, they're already zero and two, and I, I don't know. I think I think they're they're putting themselves behind the eight ball. I think Oklahoma State can sneak in, um, but. I wanted to I, – I, before we get out of here, this is the last thing I'm going to say, and then I'll let Bob do his thing, and I want to hear what everybody has to think about. I had an epiphany dream. I had I had a dream, and it was very vivid. K-State was a eight seed, and Miami of Florida was a seven seed. Oh, my seed. God. No, nine no. seed. Was it seven? Nine, nine. seed. Oh, my God. They were a nine seed. And we, or no, we were the ninth seed. They were the eight seed. And it was Marquise Noel versus Nigel Pack uh, for 40 minutes. No benching. They were just going straight at it. I want to know how you guys think of that. What do you Play, think? Of that? Playing in Albany, New York, because that I'm, I'm going, I'm going to the first and second rounds in Albany this year. And uh, we beat Miami, and Purdue is the number one, and we take down Purdue. Exercise the demons of what was it? Angel Hernandez that transferred there. Nigel Pack. Oh man, that would be uh that would that would be pretty wild. Um, were there were there fists thrown? Just a swift right one. <laughs> <laughs> who's who's who's? I'm hoping Marquise is right handed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, that would be, that would be great. Well, Flando, we loved having you on, man. It's always great having you on. It was great uh, recapping some of the stuff we talked about a couple months ago and, and getting your thoughts on the season so far. I think, uh, I mean, you're obviously welcome to come on whenever you want. If you want to make this a weekly thing or, or every couple of weeks, we'd love to have you on during basketball season. So just let us know. And, and I'm sure chef will be in touch with you, but For all of us here at Cocaine Willie, to everybody in the live room who contributed tonight, and to everybody listening on the feed, thank you a ton. We love having you on every single week. Give Cocaine Willie a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to be notified when new episodes as they drop, and then leave us a review with your feedback. If you're on Twitter, first off, follow at Grant Flanders. Follow at K-State Online. I don't know if it's at K-State Online or not, but on three, you know, subscribe to that. I've been a longtime subscriber since what August (laughs) since they opened the site up. So on three is where you should get all your recruiting news and and updates on everything K-State football, basketball, and otherwise Um, follow the show at cocaine Willie or follow us individually. I am your commissioner at Bob Trollsby. Chef is at chef Andre Napier and fireball. Matt is at Matt Marchesini chef. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby. We are all Coke and no joke. Wildcat country. Let's ride. Let's ride. Thanks, Flando. You're the best, Flando. God. We love you, Flando. He's can we get so a let's, hot. Can we get a let's ride from Flando? Let's ride. Let's ride. Let's ride. Let's ride. Let's ride. Grant, <laughs> Grant looks like a, a Kansas State young gravy. <laughs> especially especially in that picture. But I've heard young gravy yeah. so many times. With so young many gravy, people. baby. So it's... It's just a, it's official. I was supposed to go as Halloween as Young Gravy, but uh, got got the COVID, as the kids say. <laughs> <laughs>